Father, I thank you, Lord, for today, for bringing us here to the brook, to this building. God, here right now is gathered the church, which is the people of God. God, we know there are some here who are gathered with us in person or online who are um, trying to get a hold of the faith and understand better what Jesus is all about, what Christianity is all about. And Lord, we know that we are not perfect images of Jesus, but God, we want to be images of Jesus. And I pray that those who are searching you, Lord, would see you in us. And where we fall short, may they be reminded that there is a God who doesn't fall short. And Lord, I pray that this uh, church family would be healing for many. Lord, we do ask um, for, this, for you to intervene in this conflict in Eastern Europe. God, um, I think what grieves us the most is to see people suffer. It's to see people displaced. And God, so often we become very consumed with our worries, and not that they're insignificant, but sometimes, God, we just fail to realize um, how difficult things are for others globally. And so, God, we want to pray that you would preserve life. God, we pray for an end to this conflict. God, we pray, Lord, that bullets and missiles would cease, that innocent lives would no longer be taken. God, I, I pray whatever it might take to make that happen, that you would do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not grow numb to the sufferings of people in our own community, in our nation, or throughout the world. God, I pray that we would be people who love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, God, we ask that you would move in that. Father, for us here today, Lord, we know that you have a word for us. We believe it. God, we, we know that your word, the Bible says that when we are teaching it and studying it and reading it, it, won't not, it will not return void when we're seeking to hear from you. And Lord, we're here today because we want to hear from you. So would you speak through Erica, speak through myself, and Jesus, would you be glorified? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, today we're continuing on a series in this book of the Bible, which is a very fascinating book called The Song of Solomon. It's a small book of the Bible that's written in poetic form, likely by Solomon the king, who was a man who was very wise yet very foolish, a man who had very many, um, very many wives and concubines, but a man who understood the love that he longed for was not being found in the ways that he was pursuing it. And in this Song of Solomon, whether or not he's the author of it or not, what we see is an ideal picture of what love ought to be like what the intimate relationship between a man and a woman should be like. And as we talk about this, as we said in the last several weeks, we know that all of us in this room and those streaming online are different parts of life, different seasons in life. And we just want to acknowledge that at the very beginning of this message. And just do know that even as Erica and I have been preparing these sermons, we, we have that tension and angst in us knowing that there might be certain things that come across in this series that some might feel like, ah, that doesn't really relate to me. Or some might feel like, man, that's, that's, that's creating a longing or it's exposing a pain or it's, it's, just, it's doing something within me. And, and we realize that tension and we've been praying for you all. We're praying that the Holy Spirit would meet you where you're at because what we don't want to do, and the reason we're in this series is that first of all, this is in the Bible. It's God's word. And we realize there's a lot of confusion in our world when it comes to sex and sexuality and relationships. And so we want to bring clarity to that based on what God has to say. And today, um, as you notice, we did ask our Brook youth to have a special message for them. And that was strategic, fam. <laughs> today, our, our content is going to be a little more on the mature side. It will be appropriate because it is God's word. It will not be inappropriate. But what we wanted to make sure is that we're not trying to beat around the bush, trying to, you know, guard some, some of our terminology. We want to be able to speak a little more directly. Because the truth of the matter is what you're going to see today is this book, this book speaks quite directly. And so, um, and so that's why we're doing it. So again, if you have a, a young person streaming online, just know that that's what's going to be coming forward. Like I said, we want to elevate the sacredness of what we're talking about today. And so we think, honestly, it's going to be a time of real just honoring and glorifying of God based on what we're going to be talking about. You know, several years ago, there was an interview done 
um, by a reporter from, of students who were part of Kent State University. And they were talking about marriage and weddings and uh, how many millennials in particular in this interview were either foregoing marriage altogether or delaying it, but many of whom had very negative perceptions of it. And in this interview, one of the students says, society expects us to graduate, to go to college, and to get married and get a job, but I'm thousands in debt. And I was like, man, we feel that one. Another student says, how can I justify 20,000 on a wedding when I can go to Europe? And some of us are like, hey, that makes sense too. Can't argue with that. And then this person says, I see a lot of people get married too soon or stay together and are unhappy because they're afraid to be alone. And as I heard that, you know, on the one hand, it's like, man, marriage is not what you're saying. But the other hand, I'm like, but can we blame you for having that perception of marriage? And what we want to do is first off acknowledge that, man, our perceptions of marriage are really impacted by our upbringing, by what we're surrounded by, by what we've heard and seen and experienced. And so we know that some here today have a very perhaps negative perception of marriage, and maybe you don't want to, but you do for a host of reasons. Maybe there's fears. Maybe there's all kinds of emotions attached. What we want to do today is elevate the sacredness of marriage and answer why the big deal. What's the big deal of marriage? I think a lot of our hurts and negative perceptions have been because people have prioritized their wedding day over the married life. I don't know if y'all heard me. Many people have prioritized the wedding day over the married life. They've invested in the wedding and overlooked the marriage. And when we think of marriage as an event on a particular day with a heavy price tag attached to it, yeah, we're going to see it kind of negatively because it all, everything we do is put there. We see the wedding day as a finish line instead of a start line. But that's not what we see in the Bible. And because of that, I think what's happened is we see a lot of struggling marriages because they entered the wedding day prepared for the wedding, but very unprepared for marriage. This is why we feel compelled to talk about this. We want our church family to have a healthy view of marriage. We want our family to advocate for both marriage and singleness. We want our church family to understand it's not one is better than the other. It's to recognize that God has callings in our lives, and both callings, whether it be marriage or singleness, are high callings, and beautiful callings filled with purpose. So we don't want to see marriage negatively, nor do we want to see singleness negatively. We want to understand that God has a plan and purpose for both. And so as we talk today, um, we pray that it really reaches you no matter where you're at. So we know that there's many perspectives in the room, and we just want to say that wherever, wherever you're at, wherever you're coming from, um, that our desire is to really just talk about what God has to say about marriage and intimacy and God's design from the Bible itself, because he, he wants to inform us. And wherever we're at, um, whether you feel like, man, I, I've come from a, I have a really negative perspective of marriage because that's kind of what I've seen. It's kind of what I, I've been kind of given. And it's hard for me to get out of that. Or maybe you're excited about marriage and excited about that possibility. Or maybe you're in a marriage and you feel like, man, this, this is not all that it's, it's cracked up to be. And it's hard. And so what, wherever we know that there's many, many perspectives in this room, we just want to say, um, whether you, wherever we're at, single, um, married, everyone we want to benefit from, from this message because this is God's word. And, um, and he gave us this book to really show us the beauty of marriage. And we're going to really see that today um, specifically in the text because I feel like it's so countercultural because the world is truly shouting at us the exact opposite message and we want to redeem it, okay? And so that's kind of what, that's where we're going at today. Yeah, so would you join us in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter three, and we are gonna be uh, jumping in from verses six through chapter five, verse one, and then dabbling in chapter seven a little bit. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet with me um, as we get ready to read from Song of Solomon, chapter three, and we'll, I'll start out reading verses six through 11. Um, there is a blue Bible in that chair in front of you. And we want you to join us there, whether in your app or in the printed text of the scriptures. Y'all got there? Cool. Song of Solomon is pretty much smack dab in the middle of the Bible. It's after Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and then you get the Song of Solomon. 
If you're in Isaiah, you're too far, so move back to the left. Song of Solomon chapter 3, verses 6 through 11 says, What is that coming up from the wilderness? Like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and experts in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. You may be seated, fam. Okay, so this first portion that we're getting into, we're seeing that um, this is their wedding day. And this is their pr procession as, um, as Solomon is coming, down, coming to his wedding day. And so the procession teaches us, and this is our first point, is that marriage is a sacred celebration. And so you're going to see her describing him coming toward her. Um, it's a very different from kind of our procession or how we would see weddings happen currently in our day. So currently brides nowadays, we have like a different emphasis, which is the bride coming down and the bridesmaids. Um, and that's kind of like the procession that we will often see typified in, in, in weddings. Well, culture back here, ancient Near East, the bride and groom would arrive at different times, um, usually emphasizing the groom's arrival um, to take his bride, okay? And so um, the couple would have been, they would have been committed to one another through betrothal for over a year now, okay? So, um, but they would have been coming together in this great feast that would have lasted much longer than even one day um, that would have culminated in, a, um, in their consummation of marriage on their wedding night. Um, and so the entire, the entire village is there to celebrate um, there would have been music and dancing and dining, and the groom would arrive with his men and his groomsmen, um, accompanying him with torches, and you'll see kind of the, some of the things that she describes. Um, and the brides and the groom's procession, it was just like a magnificent sight. It was kind of like a, this culmination of, it is time. And you kind of see that in some of her words. Um, she's mesmerized by her soon-to-be um, husband's arrival. Because look what she, how she describes him. Look at verse 6. She says, who is this? It's like a rhetorical question, building intensity. What is coming up from the wilderness? She's like, oh, snap. My man is here. Look, he's coming. That's my man. And then it says, like columns of smoke. So it's kind of like she, she's seeing, like, literally the, the chariots and the horses, like, like smoke has come up from their coming, you know? And she's like, oh, my gosh, look at all the smoke. I see him. Like, the dust is coming up. And then she says, um, the thought of him brings the idea of fragrant powders, um, she can't actually smell him from a distance. Remember, this is like, this is poetry. But the thought of his arrival is like a pleasant aroma to her. She is just so like, oh, it's going to be so good. My man is here. Um, and I just thought like, it's such a good reminder, men, like, smell good. That's a good, <laughs> just a little pointer right there because she, she likes that, you know. Um, but I really think even, it's not necessarily like, oh, he smells good, I can't wait to smell him, but I think it's the idea, like, for her, his presence brings a sense of, like, ple like pleasure, like, like, she enjoys that. It's not like he's coming and she's like, oh, man, he's here, like, she feels a sense of angst or sense of, like, uh, no, like, or, or a sense of, like, dread or I wonder what he's going to say. Like, she feels like he's, she's, it's pleasant to her. It's a That's sweet good. smell when he comes near her. That's a good thing, okay? Um, all right. Then in verse 7, she says, behold, it's the litter of Solomon. It, this is, he's coming with an entourage. It's like a big deal. It's a dramatic entry. And then all of them are wearing swords. So he's coming with his, with his entourage, his boys, and they're all wearing swords. It's kind of, I feel like even this idea, again, coming up of feeling safe with him, feeling like that idea of protection. Um, and then it says, verse 9, King Solomon made himself a carriage. Yeah, it's like, 
And the way that she describes this carriage, she describes it with beautiful craftsmanship, and the materials he, he used are just the fine materials, and there's nothing like it. Uh, but I feel like it's not so much the craftsmanship, but it's the forethought. The fact that he prepared for the occasion. The fact that marriage was not something that he kind of put on the back burner, but it was something that he prepared for. I mean, he came with this, this carriage that she said, its interior was inlaid with love. She felt very loved. She feels very loved by the forethought and the effort with which he prepared for this day. Okay? And it's much like his love for her. She says, there's nothing like it. That chariot, there's nothing like it. His love for me, there's nothing like it. This girl, she's just like, I cannot wait. Just come, billows of smoke, keep coming. Um, and it's just clear that marriage is something that was important to him, and he planned accordingly for it. Um, he put forethought into it. And it's, I just want to point that out because I feel like it's in vast contrast to what we might see nowadays. And so, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that way, um, like a, a disinterest in marriage or a disinterest to, to kind of prepare for it. Um, and then on top of that, she tells her girls in verse 11, old daughters of Zion, go out and look. And she's like, join me in this thrilling moment. Um, and so even as we think about like this idea, I feel like it's kind of presenting to us that marriage is a sacred celebration. Um, marriage is, is sacred and we should think that it is something to be, to be savored and the magnitude of this moment is something that should be, it's right to feel that, like this is special. This is a special, all of the preparation, everything for it is special um, because it's a commencement of a covenant, okay? It's a commencement of a covenant. It's also sacred because it's before God mm. and a union before him upon which he gives affirmation to marital intimacy, okay? And um, we're going to see that anticipation and culmination to culminate um, the, the covenant where we see that, um, you know, we have seen that they have this desire throughout the book. And what, what have we, we've seen? Do not awaken love until it pleases. We yeah. keep, we keep seeing that. And we're going to see that, that verbiage change quite a bit. Um, we also see that it's a celebration because it's to be praised. It's to mm. be rejoiced. She's inviting people into it. It's something to be celebrated. Mm. Um, we don't often see that in our day. Um, we don't often see that marriage is sacred or celebrated in our day. Or would you guys agree? Yeah. yeah. How have we not seen that it's, it's not sacred? Um, well, we, we don't see that it's, it's set apart very often. Um, marriage is no longer sacred. And how many of you heard this? Um, I don't need a marriage certificate to tell you that I love you. It's just a piece of what? Oh. <laughs> it's just a piece of paper, right? Yeah. And you can start thinking like, yeah, that's right. It is just a piece of paper. And you start wanting to think into that, like, so what's the big deal? It's just a piece of paper. Well, you know what? Um, if, can I have all the, those pieces of paper in everybody's wallet right now? You know those, those bills? It's just pieces of paper, right? Just give them to me if they don't mean nothing. It's not the piece of paper, right? It's the value of what that paper stands for, right? It's more, you're right, it's more than just a piece of paper. That's good. Other ways we see it's not sacred. It's, it's divorce is kind of a, a word that we use in, in, in marriages um, often, um, where it's just kind of vocabulary used whenever you feel like this is hard. Um, sex is not sacred. It, it isn't reserved uh, very often, and it's a common lie that pervades our culture. Um, so we also see it's not celebrated in our culture very often. Even, even thinking like, man, I could go to Europe. Why would I? It's, it's because the idea is all in a wedding and not in a marriage that should be celebrated. Um, and I remember not too long ago, we had a couple that was going, they, right, right before you're, you're married, you have to go get your marriage license. You know, I don't know if you know the, like the process, but you go to the court, you get your marriage license. And there was a couple that both of them were asked, kind of like on the download, like they're, they're a little bit younger or they look younger. They're not the married, marriage age. Both of them were asked kind of on the, on the download, like, you really think you want to do this? Are you sure? By yeah. the person at the court, yeah. at, the, at the place Separately giving a certificate. Separately, ask that. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah. the value is not there for marriage. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, God, God created marriage. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, he brings Adam and Eve together, 
And it says in Genesis 2.28 that the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's the, that's the first marriage displayed in scriptures because God wanted marriage to be a picture of something else. And this is why it's significant. Um, he wanted it to be a picture of his love for his church. You see, in the Bible, it teaches that uh, husbands and wives are to love one another as a relationship between Jesus' Jesus's love for his church. And in fact, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, like, man, that's a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery. And he's like, and I'm not talking about marriage, but I'm talking about Jesus and the church. And so basically, one purpose of marriage on earth is to remind everybody that there is a greater love in glory where God has shown his love for his people. And, and that's, that makes then marriage a very sacred thing. Now, I've told you guys uh, this story uh, I'm about to share with you several different times. But I feel like every time I think of this, this part of marriage, I think of this picture. And it's that a couple years ago when we went to Colorado, we went hiking, we saw, we hiked upon uh, this mountain heading to a place called Emerald Lake. And everybody had told us how beautiful it was going to be. And I've told you guys, when we got to this place, we got to the spot and we saw the lake and it was gorgeous because you could see this beautiful reflection upon the lake. In fact, um, I have a picture for you here on our screen. I want you to see this picture that Erica and I took. I mean, you, you see the picture of Emerald Lake. And you can see there in the lake the picture of the mountain itself. And it's a cloudy day. And there's still a beautiful reflection. And it was wild for us as we're looking at this reflection. We're like, this is so amazing. It was like the mountain above it was like, hey, don't forget about me. You're just seeing the reflection. You're not looking at the real deal. And I meant that is just so marriage. Where you see the reflection in these married couples, it's not the perfect reflection. As you can even see there, there are ripples in the water. But we know that ultimately they're saying, hey, there's something greater there. And it's the way that God loves his people. And so that all of a sudden elevates marriage, saying, man, it's sacred because now couples have the opportunity to reflect that there is a God who loves. And so as we often say, there's no picture-perfect marriage, but every marriage is meant to point to the picture that is perfect. And that picture-perfect thing is God's love for his people. And so, man, when marriage is not seen as sacred, we're missing that picture, that pointing to God's love for his church. And this is so important for marrieds and singles because the ultimate thing is God's love for his people. And we have an opportunity, whether married or single, to demonstrate how God loves through sacrifice, through forgiveness, through laying down our lives, through, through being, uh, being able to serve others. And so, man, that's, a, that's, a, that's what makes marriage such a sacred celebration. All right, so we're getting into verse, the, the, next, the next chapters, and we're going to see that you know, marriage is, is sacred and celebrated, um, and we're going to see in verse 311, on the wedding day, uh, um, the day of gladness of his heart. So when the groom arrived, and when they celebrated, the newlyweds would then enter um, the tent, and for the first time, they would consummate their marriage. Um, through becoming one flesh, just as Genesis 2, 24 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Yeah. And so, Previous this is why the kids are not here. That's right. <laughs> Previously, he referred to her as my love, my dove, my beautiful one. And in chapter, in chapter 4, verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, he says, my bride, my bride. And you ever talk to newlyweds, like, they, they, they enjoy saying, oh, my, my husband or my, my wife. I'm like, okay, you don't have to refer to, I know their name. You just call them by their name, but they always call by the title because it's exciting. You, it's cute. You, you it's feel exciting. this right, right? It is cute. It is cute. Keep doing it. Um, so here they are, just the two of them, in this intimate moment. And in many ways, it's described for us. And so I'm going to read and describe the imagery here. As we see it in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, he, this is him speaking there with his wife there before him on their wedding night as they are about to consummate their marriage. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. There's an innocence there. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. 
Try that one. Try that one. Actually, what he's saying is, even as she lets down her hair, it just falls. And he's like, it's like a flock of goats coming down. Your teeth are like the flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear their twins. She got her teeth. He's happy about that. <laughs> Verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. The intricacy. And your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. He sees her, her, her cheeks is blushing, and your neck is like the Tower of David, built in the rows of stone. There is dignity as she stands. On it hangs a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. I don't know what that means. Verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. There's two that graze among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. He says, I will go away the mountains, to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I mean, you hear this man talking about her, but here's, here's something on the real I want us to talk about. You cannot picture her. Like, what does she look like? You're like, her neck's like a tower. She's got some goats on her head. She's got newly bathed teeth. Like, like, you can't picture because the point is not what she physically looks like, but is the emotion that her sight draws to her man. And this is what I love here. He's in love and he loves to see her in this moment of great vulnerability. And he's caught up in the emotion of who she is. And he's very tender in his wording. And like legit, as we read there, like that's a little uncomfortable. We're about to get to chapter 7. It's a little more uncomfortable. But this is so important for us to understand is that here in this moment of vulnerability, he's very gentle and sensitive. In fact, he gives seven different descriptions, which in the Bible is often the number of perfection. He's like, girl, you are just perfect to my eyes right now. She doesn't feel insecure about her body type. She doesn't feel insecure about what she's thinking. He's thinking there because he's just showering her with praise because he's into her. He's into her. And I love how the Bible does this because this is not inappropriate. This is not racy language. It's sacred. And we see him just praising his bride. And so I think that's what we see. Um, Let tender words rule your wedding day and all the days you're wed. So a healthy marriage is really one that knows how to affirm and reciprocate affirming love toward one another. And so your spouse should feel safe in the vulnerability of intimacy. When there is safety and security, you know what it breeds? It breeds freedom and it breeds breeds enjoyment together. Um, When there isn't safety and security, it could be characterized by being closed off or guarded when it comes to intimacy. Um, And where it may be lacking, it is not impossible to rebuild. Okay, it will take intentionality and humility, but it's not impossible to rebuild. Um, and so let disparaging words have no place on your wedding day or all the days that you're wed. Okay, um, your words can make or wilt your spouse. Um, they can, some will wilt right before your eyes um, if we, you've attacked them with words or others may, may just kind of shut off and not, um, and maybe wilt within. And maybe you feel like you realize, even as we're sharing, that maybe you've said some disparaging words, or maybe there's been caused insecurity, and you feel like, man, I, I've messed up in this area. Um, anytime, listen, anytime we choose to acknowledge our failure or hurtful words or actions and seek forgiveness and communicate something, that's communicating something huge to our spouse. Yeah. If you're saying, I was wrong, I don't wanna make you feel that way, um, the way that I made you feel, you have an opportunity, like we said last week, to move back toward oneness. Because if not, what'll happen is you kind of grow toward isolation and it's hard to get, but one degree, one degree can move back. Um, You know, I used to, and I think it's so reciprocal, and we're gonna see that later in the book. Here he's kind of admiring her, and we're gonna see that later, not, not, not in the text today, but where she kind of, she reciprocates that. And I think that's a, something to even just point out, the fact that 
both of us need affirmation. It's a, a, a male and a female thing. Um, I used to think, you know, um, I, I really used to think like, I don't want him to get a big head. Like, I'm not gonna affirm him, not like, just affirm him in general. Like, he gets, a lot of people are affirming him, like, he's fine, like, I'm gonna keep him grounded. Like, he needs me to keep him, like, ground. I used to think that, like, for real. And then I'm like, he like, likes affirmation, but he wants it from me the most. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want him to receive it from everywhere else. And then when he gets home, he's like, all he hears is like, boo. <laughs> like, I want to cheer him on too. So, um, yeah. yeah I, no, nobody's affirmations mean more to me than hers does. Yeah. And as much as I love words of affirmation, that's just something I love. And no one's going to be able to deliver them like she can deliver them. And your spouse is the same way if you're married. Yeah. And so that's just something to... to Keep in mind, and I think this is important, like Satan loves a couple in bed together before marriage and out of bed while in marriage. He really does. Um, in bed before marriage is also often accompanied by shame and pain, and it communicates that the marriage covenant is not, is not sacred. But staying out of bed together while in marriage brings isolation to a couple. Um, and the pleasure that God intended for you as a couple to experience and each time, which each time is a renewal of that covenant and commitment to one another. Satan doesn't want that. So it's important just even just to like remember that. Like Satan does not want what's best for your sexuality. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So good. So good. And so, um, and maybe I'll just say this, even if, if you're not married, make it a practice of being one who protects boundaries. If you're in a relationship, um, protecting the boundaries now that you establish will guard those boundaries within marriage. Uh, be one who is affirming in, in appropriate ways while dating so that you can be when you're married. Uh, marriage is not the time to start these kind of things. Um, that happens as part of our lives. That's why we said this is about character and integrity. So let tender words, this is our second point, rule your wedding day and all the days that you're wed. Um, we see in chapter 7... Verses 1 through 10, a very similar kind of description that we just saw. Um, we, we see a, a, the same kind of description of him, again, looking at his wife and saying what he is saying and what he's feeling. <clears throat> we, we don't know how much time passes between chapter 5 or chapter, end of chapter 4 and, verse, and chapter 7, but it seems that sequentially there is some period between here. Um, so I think just for us to even understand via application, if you're married, like, this is not on their wedding day anymore. This may not even be on their honeymoon or, or honestly in their first years, but it reminds us that this is just part of marriage is to affirm your spouse. And here in chapter 7, verse 1, he describes her from her feet to her head. He says, how beautiful are your feet in sandals. He doesn't have a, a foot fetish, all right? He's describing her from, her from her feet all the way to her head. Look it down in verse, uh, in verse 6. He says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. This is the moment you're like, what are we reading here? You're like, you just check the cover, but that's the Bible still. And he says, oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Like, like he's here, he has studied her. And I want to say to you husbands, study your wife like a scholarship depends on it. And speak those words to her. But it's interesting. He says there at the end of verse 9, your mouth is like the best wine. Your mouth is like the best wine. And notice what she, she says next here in, verse, in verse, uh, the end, next part of verse 9. And it's, she, she finishes a sentence. She says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over his lips and teeth. Yeah. It's like... It's like uh, and frozen, you know, they, they finish each other's sandwiches, don't they? <laughs> he says, you're, it's like wine, and she's like, and it flows down to your mouth. <laughs> and that's how they're talking, is they're, they're expressing this, this affection. And it's kind of like, okay, all right, enough already. Um, you know, she has, you're kind of like, all right, okay, like, that's, it's kind of getting a little bit too much. Um, but I love it because it's like, why should, the, why should the passion and the romance stop from their wedding you know, from their wedding night, it's, I think it's, um, you know, I think it does, it, how cool is it that it can't, it gets better, 
that it, it's something that you grow in in marriage. Um, and I think we, we talked about that a little bit last week. Like, it's, it's okay to say, like, you don't give me the butterflies anymore. And I'm, I'm glad about that. Like, our love is so much deeper than the butterflies. Yeah. And, um, and so I just love that, um, that the fact that they're, they're just continuing to grow together. And it's not about any, any size here or, um, or shape. It's, it's just the perception of, I love you, all of you. Mm -hmm. um, you see all of me, and you love all of me. Yeah. And, um, and I know that that's not um, something that we always often feel, necessarily feel safe with especially in our culture. Our culture is very, um, it saddens me actually, the amount of pressure that it puts on young girls and women yeah. to feel, to be a certain way. And the way that it cultivates um, insecurities and depression. And, um, and so here she's at her most vulnerable and feeling so safe yeah. and so secure. And that's what marriage should be. Yeah, and us as men have a responsibility with a Holy Spirit inspired character to not um, act in such a way that puts that kind of pressure. And, uh, and that's, that's integrity. And so men, study your wives. Wives, study your husbands. I am an Ericaologist. Yes. She studies Ericaology. In fact, I was talking to, to Eddie Molina several years ago about this. And I said, you know, we would like, you know, put ology after the end of your wife's name. That's what you study. He's like, I study astrology. I was like, all right, go for it, man. So his wife is Estrella. <laughs> that one always cacked me up, so... Um, we, we must be students. We must be students. And that, that's a matter of character. That's a matter of integrity. We, we see more going on in their relationship. We see um, this, this beautiful description of their intimacy deep in here as they are here one, with one another in the privacy of this space. Yeah, and so what we see here now in um, our next in chapter 4, verses 6 through 15, we're going to see, um, is it 6 through 15? Yeah, right? Yeah, you go to nine, I think. Yeah, nine. Okay. Um, you have captivated my heart, um, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eye and with one jewel of your necklace. Um, we're, we're seeing in all the ways that he is tenderly continuing to talk to her that your, your wife is a garden to be tended and not a yard to be trampled. Um, he desires her and he tells her that. Um, that he desires her. He says um, he, her look, the way that she looks at him, he says he captivate, she captivates his heart twice. Um, it's not something that you're like, oh, that my, my love for you is fading. He's like, no, I'm captivated by you. Um, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than spices. Um, he says, your love is beautiful to me. Your lips drink, uh, drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Um, he's, he's saying, you're, you're just, you're sweet to me. And uh, he says, honey and milk are under your tongue. I can't, I can't help but think that the Hebrew kiss precedes the French kiss, okay? Because <laughs> um, something is happening there. But um, her aroma, she smells delightful to him. Um, and then I feel like this next verse in verse 12 is a big deal. Um, he says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. I think it's, a, it's in all of his description, he recognizes and admires the fact that she has been, because he, he refers to her body as a garden. He says, your body, your garden has been locked, my bride. Um, and he's saying that this is the first time that her garden, her po poetic language for her body, is being unlocked. And he's, he's excited about that, and he's admiring that about her. Um, her body has been kept uh, for him. She did not feel the freedom to give herself to him until this time. Um, because of their sacred covenant. Um, and even saying that, I know, I know that that brings up a lot of feelings. Um, because I know that there's oftentimes just tremendous um, thoughts about past or sadness. If maybe you feel like, well, that's not my story. Um, and maybe, maybe you're really understanding for the first time. Um, or maybe you're at a place in your life where you, now you see the why. Why God is um, placing sex within the context of marriage. And you're ready to commit to that. Um, but I know, I know in a room like this, that it, it just, it brings certain feelings and emotions. And I just want to say, I want you to know that God redeems and restores because mm -hmm. he is a God that's good like that. Yes, he is. Okay, so even as you read this, I don't want you to say, well, that's not my story. And feel, you know what, God... God wants to use whatever story that you have. 
He wants you to surrender and, and walk in obedience, and he will use that. Um, and there's truly more joy in surrender and submission to God's ways. It may not always feel easy in the moment. Um, Self-control and surrender do not always come easy, but there is pleasure and commitment that comes that outweighs the temporary and fleeting pleasures of yeah. sin. Your story, whatever it may be, is a story that can bring God much glory through your surrender. Surrender is a life of submission to God and obedience. And that starts today. It starts whenever you say, God, I, I, I commit and I surrender and I'm going to surrender a little bit more. Like That is um, the way that we find most joy and most enjoyment because it's in his will. Um, and the belief that he, he truly does have what's best for you in mind. Yeah. He really does. That's so good. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's no accident that her body is likened to a garden. And oftentimes when I talk to men, uh, both married and single, men want to be like rocks. We want to be strong. We want to be uh, someone who's secure. And being a rock in, in a marriage is, is a valuable thing because it shows steadiness. It shows um, strength. But that's not always the best image for a garden because rocks don't generate heat. Rock, rocks are, don't produce warmth. And as I think about this image, I think about a, a pastor that I admire a lot. And there was a time where he expressed a need to go on a sabbatical to really work on his marriage. And it was interesting because he stated something uh, really important. He, 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 um, he was reiterating the fact that their marriage was in a good place, but they needed working on it. This is what he says. He says, my wife and I are rock solid in our commitment to each other, and there is no whiff of unfaithfulness on either side, but as I told our leaders, he says, rock solid is not always an emotionally satisfying metaphor, especially to a woman. A rock is not the best image of a woman's tender companion. In other words, the precious garden of my home needs tending. And so guys, I say, remember that the hands that you use to fix the family cars, the hands, husbands, that you could use to caress your wife. Remember, husbands, that the mouth that shouts and yells to defend are the, word, are the same mouth they could use to express your love. And remember that the mind that figures out the finances is a mind that can strategize how to be creative in your love. So men, husbands, be a rock. Be also a gardener. Because your wife is not a garden to be trampled, um, or, uh, but is a garden to be tended. And so we see this tenderness taking place. Um, and we see them ultimately coming now to verses 16 to chapter 5, verse 1, uh, stepping into this great moment of, of intimacy. Um, should I just read that right quick? It says, um, after, her, after talking about the garden, in verse 16, it says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. And she says, Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. And then he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And others says, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. All right. So here is the, the moment where the, the phrase that has been said throughout the book thus far, do not awaken love until it pleases. And what is the first word in chapter 16? Verse 6. Sorry. What? Verse 16. I mean. Sorry, verse 16. What is the first word you see? Chapter 4, verse 16. Awaken. Awake. Awake. It's like here is now like they have a green light to go for it. It's like, no, all that, the, the things that you, we've been saying, do not awaken. It's saying awake. And then she says, it's, it says, blow on my garden, let its spices flow. And the next line, she says, let my beloved come to his garden. You see that, that, that change in pronoun? She goes from my garden to his garden. Marital intimacy understands that kind of belonging to one another. She is no longer referring to her body as mine, but it is also his. And she welcomes him to that. To, to, she gives herself entirely to him, and they delight in lovemaking. She, she delights to give herself to him, and she welcomes him freely to enjoy his garden. And it's quite precious and beautiful, and it's stated in such a, um, man, just a, a real, real precious way. Um, and 
I love this quote, and I just kind of I want to read it because I think this idea of what God designed sex to be in, in marriage is, is beautifully depicted here in this quote by Tim Keller. He says, sex is supposed to be a sign of what you have done with your whole body. If you have sex inside of a covenant, then the sex becomes a covenant renewal ceremony. It becomes a commitment apparatus. You're getting married all over again. You're giving yourself all over again. It's incredibly deepening and solidifying and nurturing. In marriage, when you're having sex, you're really saying, I belong completely and exclusively to you, and I'm acting it out. I'm giving my body as a token of how I've given you my life. I'm open to you physically as a token of the fact that I've opened to you in every other way. The amount of vulnerability and transparency here, and this is why you tend each other. This is why you, are, you do that with much care and why it's sacred. Yeah, so basically that brings us to our fourth point, which is that sex is a God-given gift in marriage where two become one. I tell couples on their wedding day, I'll say, you, you, your body now belongs to your spouse, and spouse, your body now belongs to your, other, to your spouse, and together you two um, are now one. And that's the, that's the, the picture that God has created. Um, you know, it's so important for us to understand this in the backdrop of the fact that marriage is meant to be a picture um, that points to the perfect picture between God and his love for his people. Because if we miss that, then marriage becomes yeah. the, the pinnacle experience of life, or it becomes devalued where it's like, that's oh, it's not that important. We gotta understand that whether singleness and marriage are both gifts, that are both opportunities to demonstrate and shine the love of God, and in marriage in particular, there's no picture-perfect marriage. Yeah. But that marriage is meant to point to the picture that is perfect. And then you can uh, reflect how God loves his people. And family, as we go out uh, today, I want us to remember that. That the whole point of all this is to remember that there's a God who loves far more intensely than we can ever love. Yes. There's a God who loves far more perfectly yes. than we can ever love. So many conflicts happen in marriage because one expects their spouse to be their everything. And as we've said before, and we'll say it again, your spouse is not equipped to be your everything. They weren't supposed to be your everything. And singleness, was. like marriage is not going to be your, like marriage won't fulfill your needs and desires and longings. Yes. Only God can do that. Yes. And if you are single right now, hoping to get married in order to fulfill your deepest desires and longings, I want you to know marriage won't do that. Yes. Yeah, there's certain kinds of satisfaction and enjoyment, but ultimately our greatest longings as people is for a relationship with God and to know that his love is directed toward us with all of our imperfections, yes. with all of our flaws, and with all of our failures. So when you start feeling that your, your story is unredeemable, I want you to tell that to the thief on the cross who found forgiveness just before his death. Yes. I want you to tell that to the hated man named Zacchaeus or to the bleeding woman, or to blind Bartimaeus, or to that thankful leper, or to the demon-possessed man who found uh, deliverance through Jesus. When you feel your stories unredeemable, tell that to someone who has found redemption through Jesus. And when you feel like comparing your story, or feeling like your story is not good as someone else, remember if Jesus could take a denying Peter, and a doubting Thomas, and a seven times over demon-possessed Mary Magdalene and turn their stories into something of praise, then he can do it for yours. So don't let shame have a louder voice than his grace in your life. Walk in that freedom. Yeah. And so when you feel like a failure, remember that if Jesus could make a cheating tax collector a dangerous zealot and a murderous Pharisee into a disciple, missionary, and preacher, he can work with you, fam. <laughs> And when you feel like you're stuck and you have no way out, remember if Jesus could turn water to wine, he could bail you out. Yeah. And when you feel that God is holding out on you, remember if Jesus could tell Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power, my power is made perfect in your weakness, and that Paul could trust God with no matter what he was going, that God is not holding out, but God is good, God can help you see that he's not holding out on you. He is good and he loves you. And when you feel like your marital intimacy is beyond repair, remember that if Jesus could raise Lazarus by the power of his word, he can raise up 
your marriage. Because you know what? God does his best work in graveyards, doesn't he? We don't got to look any farther than the empty tomb. Believe that God can do that in your marriage. So this is where our hope is. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come back one day. He pr it promised that he'd come a first time, and he did a family. It promised that he will a second time, and he will family. Even as we were singing this morning, we had imagery in our songs of the bride, the bride. Well, biblically speaking, that's the church. All of us who put our faith in Jesus. And by metaphor, Jesus is the groom. And by metaphor, heaven is the eternal honeymoon. And there's a day coming when Jesus will come down, the groom will bring his bride into glory, and there will be this great marriage celebration at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, and we will eat at a table with Jesus, with the saints of old and the saints of now, and we will be ushered into eternal life where there will be ultimate satisfaction ultimate joy and ultimate pleasure for all of eternity because we will be in the presence of God. So family, that is where our hope is. No matter where you're at today, and this is why we hold marriage as sacred, and I want us to all hold it as such and say, Lord, we commit ourselves and our lives into your hands. We commit our lives to Jesus who went to the cross for us, died for us, and rose from the dead for us. And in him, there is joy and hope Family, our Savior is coming back. He's coming back. So I'm going to pray here, fam. Next time I have Erica pray. And uh, our worship team will come on up and lead us in song. Our prayer team will come up to the, our, to the right and left of the stage. They want to pray for you. We want you to be prayed for. Family, let us rise to our feet and offer songs of celebration to our God and our Savior who's coming back one day to take us home. Lord God, we are so thankful that all of our needs, all of our longings are found in you. So we look to you and we say, God, help us to turn our affections to you, to find our desires and fulfillments in you. Teach us to search for you. Teach us to know more about you, God, that we would find our identity within you, God. God, we, we want to be people that reflect, that are eager to wait for your presence, eager to wait to be in your presence one day, God, we love you, and we pray, God, that you continue to do a work in our, in our lives. God, help us to be more informed by you and your voice than anything else, God. To you be the glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God, we thank you for this day, God. We ask that we would go out in your strength and with your help. We thank you that, Jesus, you are coming back, and we pray that we would prepare our hearts for that day. Lord, this week, may we just soak in your grace. May we rest in your will, in your purpose, and trust, Lord, that you've got us. God, remind us, God, of how you are a God of new beginnings. Remind us how you are a God who is faithful and true. Keep these things on the forefront of our minds, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a moment before we dismiss, I want to remind those uh, who are serving in any ministry at the brook, um, whether from real communities or anything on a Sunday morning or whatever, we want you to come on down. In about 10 minutes, we'll start our ministry team pep rally meeting. Uh, we'll start with some giveaways so y'all don't want to miss that. Trust me. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is God's word for you. God bless you, Brooke family. You're dismissed. We'll see you all at Real Community.